you're always going to lose more than you win. So it's not like a, you know, football or something like that where you're going to win most of your games if you're good. You can't, you can't just pin all your enjoyment and your passion on winning. And money was always a problem. You, know, you never quite know when the next race is going to be and if there's going to be one. We begged, borrowed and stole our way through those first two seasons of car racing. And even now, I don't fully know how we got through it. Just know that we did. Always got a lot more to learn, haven't we? Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's just through practice now, you know. And um, like with anything you do, the more you do it, the better you get. It's already high stress enough. Your average heart rate for a race day is normally about 120 BPM. I guess it depends on, on what you consider risk to be, you know. When you go out of your way to, to put yourself at risk, is that is that when it's more of a danger? You know, I don't know. I think I'd rather spend a lifetime trying to to chase this dream than, you know, a life of wondering what it would have been like. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. Alex, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Really good. Thank you, Harry. Thank you for having me. How are you? No, I'm great. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you for your time being on. It's a pleasure. So um, a little question I'd like to start off with is what ignited your passion for cars, racing and all things four-wheeled? Um, it was my dad's fault, really. Um, so I've I've always grown up, uh, or I grew up, sorry, um, in Ken, uh, Dartford. So I've always been quite close to Brown Hatch. You know, it's always been about 15, 20 minutes drive from, from home for me. Um, so my dad was always uh, a bit of a fan here, gone along to Grand Prix and that kind of stuff with the circuit back in the day. Um, and he took me along for the first time when I was about two years old. Um, I think it was the touring cars from what he said. Mm. Um, and he, he parked us up on South Bank so you can see the circuit from where you park your car there, put me up on the sunroof. Um, and apparently I didn't really get down all day. Um, I was kind of hooked uh, ever since, really. Um, so, yeah, I spent, I spent most of my childhood at, at racetracks, um, you know, Brands Hatch, uh, Silverstone, uh, et cetera. Um, Le Mans when I was a bit older, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, uh, and it's, it's all I've ever really known to be honest and then naturally I, I pestered him to, to take me go-karting as, as soon as I was old enough um, and I've been racing ever since Yeah brilliant and so outside of the racing for when you were growing up what was it like as a kid sort of um, being surrounded by all that sort of stuff and going through that um, Yeah I know it was probably more important than I realised, you know. Um, I've always been quite lucky in that for as long as I can remember, I've had a passion for something. Mm. You know, I've had something to, to look forward to, something that's defined me to a degree, you yeah. know. Um, uh, certainly, you know, these days, you know, I always feel like I'm at, I'm, I'm the best version of myself when I'm racing, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, probably done more for me than I realised in that sense um, uh, and helped me to, to kind of overcome hurdles, um, you know, personally, whether that just be you know, something to look forward to or on a weekend. 
or even just made me a better person you know um as a kid i struggled a lot with uh dyspraxia um mm. so like a, a learning difficulty similar to dyslexia that kind of stuff um but you know my passion for motorsport my desire to to be a good racing driver kind of help me to overcome if you like the a lot of the hurdles that throws in your way um so yeah i don't i don't know what i've done without it to be honest yeah brilliant and um, i only, only ask this because i i started go-karting at butmore park as, as i know you did and so i'm not a racing driver so i guess the question I'm, i want to ask is what what kept you going and what kept the discipline and the confidence to be able to pursue that as a career um I spent a lot of years doing it without necessarily thinking of it as a career. You know, sure. I, uh, for most of us, when I started out, frankly, I wasn't very good. Um, and, you know, I, I did it more so for the enjoyment than, than anything else, you know. And I think that's the way you got to be, you know, um, regardless of the the level you race at. It's, it's too much time. It's too much money. It's too much effort to not be something you enjoy, frankly yeah um so so yeah you know for, for years it was just purely for the fun of it um these days of course it's a lot more serious a lot more intense for me a lot more competitive um and really at that point it's almost the thrill of improvement if you like you know yeah. um I, I kind of I, I almost love the process of, of the work more than I do the actual result to a degree you know um certainly my last full year of, of racing back in 2020 I was you know we, we were a championship contender throughout the year uh, I was the team leader in my own team I was the the fastest driver within that uh, that awning for for most of the season frankly yeah. I should have been as well as the only driver there in their second year in the championship but actually the bit I was really proud of was the work of putting off the circuit, you know, to, to make sure I was constantly bringing my A game, the, the research I was doing, the um, hours of studying YouTube footage or speaking to the team on the, the phone about, you know, um, uh, run plans for practice sessions, what we wanted to change setup wise and so on and so forth. And I think that's the way you have to be, you know, um, in, in this game, you're always going to lose more than you win. Because, yeah. you know, if you've got a 30 car grid, one of you can win anyway. Um, so it's not like a you know a football or something like that where you're going to win most of your games if you're good. Um, so you can't you can't just pin all your enjoyment, and your passion on winning, you know. Um, and so for me, I developed a real passion for just putting in my best performance when yeah. wherever I could. You know, if if it was a tenth place car, then I needed to finish tenth. If it was a, a race winning car, then I needed to win. But either way, I focus more on the performance and the result because that was a bit like control. Uh, and I think that's really what's what's kept me going um, mm. with it in that sense is it, it, I think it gives you a better, more realistic picture of where you're at, you know, and it's easier to to find the positives in the bad situations. But it also makes it easier to celebrate the good moments as well, I think. Uh, and I think that's been key. Yeah, it sounds like you've done a lot of work on yourself as a person. So... It just interests me to find out what's maybe what started this because you seem very self-aware, you seem very sort of um, positive and very sort of self-driven. So where do these, uh, I don't know, personality traits and teachings, where do they come from? Is it something you've always had? Is it something you've grown up with or is it something you've worked on as a person? Um, Yeah, I'm, we're all constantly working on ourselves, aren't we? Mm. To be honest, for me, that attitude has probably been fairly recent you know okay. um uh you know 
through karting, I kind of, uh, for the most part, was just enjoyment. You know, I just enjoyed racing. Um, some days were good, some days were bad, but either way, I was just fairly grateful to to be there and to be racing. You know, I wasn't taking anything for granted in that sense. Um, then when I moved into car racing um, in in my first year in uh, the Cooper Amp Plus or the Mini Challenge, um, it came quite easily. You know, I, I probably had a bit more experience than some of the guys around me from karting, whereas they come from track days and that kind of stuff. And we were fairly dominant as a result you know so we won I think it was like 11 out of 17 races and, uh, and won the championship we had, we had mm. some competition we had some tough days of course we did but you know uh, overall it, it felt from day one like ours to lose you know yeah. uh, and we were the people the then when I stepped up to the pro class um the year afterwards um yeah, you know, we were probably still as good as anybody there, but they were also yeah. just as good as we were. So there were there were ten of us in that class. I think nine of us had a podium. You know, yeah. um, so it it was at a point there where I couldn't just turn up and drive faster than everybody else. I had to work better than them. I had to work smarter than them. And it was a really tough year for me in 2019, that one. You know, there was a lot of down moments. There was a lot of confidence lost. And so then going into uh, 2020, um, you know, moved teams to, to Grace Motorsport, who I, who I still work with now. Um, and uh, obviously the bonus of COVID was to have more time to to think, frankly, yeah. and to work out what I needed to do to get the best out of myself, you know. Um, and in the meantime, the the championship there with the with the Coopers um, pretty much tripled in size. So I kind okay. of had a realization at that point that you know, uh, if I found myself spending time and energy thinking about everybody on that grid who could be as good as me, could be better than me, etc., uh, etc., et mm. probably drive myself crazy. You know, there, there was probably a good fifteen plus drivers there that year who could win a race. Yeah. You know? Uh, and at that point, I just kind of made a conscious effort to make sure that instead of worrying about anybody else, I just focused on getting the best out of myself each time, you know, putting my best performance in each time, just trusting that the results would come from that. Um, and as a result, I think it was the best I ever performed, really. Um, uh, and I've tried to carry that through to to, to present day and uh, plan to continue to do so. No, it's brilliant. And I think through lockdown for most of us it was all a, a journey of that you've got this free time all of a sudden and you've got all this sort of mm. chance to do something with your time and it's for those that, that do sort of go right how can I make the most of this that benefit because they're going I could spend all day watching friends on tv I could mm. spend the whole day worrying about how I'm going to get through the rest of the year or I could make the most the very situation and it's yeah, it's the thing that I, I mean, per, I personally, I personally struggle with over lockdown. I, I came out of a relationship beforehand, and then a couple of months after, the whole world just closed off. And it's mm. been, it's been a, it's been a personal discovery for me over the past sort of couple of years that to, to go and and realize that, look, world's not going to do any, no, the world's not doing you any favors. It's it's up to yourself to to pick yourself up and move on. But so, what yeah. were those? If you don't mind me asking, what were those down moments that you had before going in to lockdown? Um, you know, motorsport, it's, there's always a constant stress to it, you know, never mind yeah. the performance side of it. Um, there's such a business element to it in the first place, you know, um, mm. 
I've never I've never had a big budget available to me. Uh, money was always a problem. You know, we we begged, borrowed, and stole our way through um, those first two seasons of car racing. And even now, I don't fully know how we got through it. Just know that we did. Yeah. Um, and then in 2020, you know, we we had somebody who promised a lot to us and didn't necessarily deliver that. Um, so, so yeah, you know, that that's always been the main source of the kind of low moments for me is you never quite know when the next race is going to be and if there's going to be one, you know, um, and that's, that's always difficult to deal with. Um, I've always kind of said that if I was able to give this up, it would probably be the stresses of like the off season that mm. we're about to go into now, that time, of year, then it would be anything that actually happened on circuit, you know. Um, but of course, you know, on the on the actual circuit side of things, then yeah, you know, some of the things that happen there can be uh, pretty devastating. You know, with yeah. with mechanical failures, accidents, and so on, then you you put a lot of time and, and work and effort into it. Um, but I don't know. I, I always try and remind myself that you know, actually, outside of injury, um, yeah. anything that happens on circuit is all very much like. An ultimate first world problem, isn't it? You know, like yeah. there's there's people around who, who don't have a home, you know, who don't know how they're gonna pay bills. So in comparison, my race car not working or me not being able to afford to, to race it that weekend actually isn't that big a problem, is it? Um so I try and make sure where I can that I, I just add that bit of perspective to it. Yeah. Uh, perfect. And so you spent speak about it being a business for yourself and being a racing driver is, is like running your own business. So I guess the question I want to ask is how do you pitch Alex? Mm. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, overall, I think it's, it's not so much about pitching me. It's okay. about pitching the value of, it, you know, um, I think a lot of people have uh, maybe the wrong perception of sponsorship you know and view it as a charitable donation you know because we've all seen those kind of proposals from you know like little johnny and his go-kart that needs a new engine you know and he's he's going to be a future f1 champ and so on and so forth and you know that's great and it has its purpose but it's not what i call sponsorship it's a donation at that point you know whereas we're very much about using motorsport to help yeah. somebody grow their business you know, we're about using motorsport to introduce them to to new clients. Um, you know, business business connections. We're about using motorsport to connect their brand uh, with with our motorsport audience. You know, which is huge on on the touring car weekends where many challenge races, uh, and indeed on, on live on ITV4 as well. And it's about you know using the the hospitality packages on offer to help them build relationships. You know, um, so yeah, it's not. It's bigger than just me and selling myself. It's it's about what we have to offer as a sport, as an industry, to businesses, really. Yeah. So if I so, for instance, if I if I come to you and say I've got a startup, I don't know, instance selling selling cocktails, and I come to you as as a, as a business owner and go, I want to make the most of the say, marketing side of my business. What would you offer me as a sponsor? Um. Well, it, there's there's no hard and fast answer to it. 
because it sure. takes a lot of time to work out a strategy that works for everybody you know um the the first thing we'd always do is sit down with somebody and you know uh try and get a better feel for their business where they're at where they're going what their goals are who they need to, to meet to make their uh their goals come true you know uh, sure. and also uh what challenges they're facing you know um but yeah you know it's it's a really creative form of marketing overall you know um, and the sky's really the limit you know i'm with something like a, a cocktail for example then you know you, you've got a huge audience there of people who'd quite like to try the products perhaps you know you've got a huge audience there of uh, mostly adults um you know who are yeah. uh, in excess of thirty five thousand a year for the most part i think it's something like 80 percent of people who turn up to touring car race uh, are earning above that so you know a fair amount of uh purchasing power if you like um to, to put the name in front of um and so on and so forth as well of course as you know drinks being on offer in hospitality and so on um so yeah there's uh, it's different for each one so you know it's it's really based on what their needs and requirements are at the time yeah and i'm really interested to find out alex how you grew this business acumen and this is something that you've learned over time it's like you've researched how have you grew grow as a businessman and a racing driver through your career like you do with anything it's it's through the challenges you face isn't it you know it's through um each failure each success every challenge you face um and trying to to soak up as and absorb as much information as possible you yeah. know um there's some good resources out there um for for drivers to to learn more about that side of um motorsport and the business side of it that mm. I'm still using now because you know we we've all always got a lot more to learn haven't we um so so yeah it's it's just through practicing it you know um like with anything you do the more you do it the better you get yeah and so when it comes to race day uh do you have a preparation do you have a sort of a pro process what is your i don't know from a to waking up in the morning to b getting in the car what is that like for you yeah, so I I try to keep a race there as simple as possible and try okay. to do as little as possible um, because it's already high stress enough. You know, so I remember being told a couple of years back that um, actually your your average heart rate for a race there is normally about 120 um, BPM. So okay. basically like doing a gentle flight day because, of course, you got, you know, they're generally running when you're on circuit and all that kind of stuff, sure. But, you know, you're constantly making decisions, whether that be set up, uh, whether that be um, conditions, you know, so therefore any strategies on you know, tire decisions, um, general kind of plans for the races and so on and so forth. Um, so it can be quite a high stress day. So I always try to keep everything as organised as possible. So, you yeah. know, I'd always do myself a timetable um, in the build up to race weekend. So I know where I need to be, what I need to be doing. Um and then I'll always set aside a bit of time before the, the race to get into my um, yeah, my best mindset, if you like. Yeah. So you know, normally I'll kind of block out like the hour before the race, you know. Normally about, about half an hour until the race, you need to be in what they call the assembly area, the, the staging area, where everybody's getting ready to go. Um, but before that, you know, I'll normally try and find a, a quiet kind of place, if you like, in, mm. in the team truck or something like that. To, to do uh, a bit of a warm-up 
okay right. come up with any other sports activity um and also just listen to a bit of music you know some some music that can just get me into that that frame of mind i want to be in you know um uh, and then for for me you know i tend to find my best performances come from good preparation you know so so feeling ready for whatever challenge i'm about to take on so so normally by the time i get to assembly era i should feel like i have everything covered as best i can yeah and then at that point fairly relaxed and just having a good time with with my team yeah i think it's fair to say that you've had a quite successful run so far in um, the mini world of, of challenge cup and whatever it is so I guess, is, would you consider yourself a lucky racer or would you consider it? Because, I mean, for some people, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. So do you, do you consider it lucky or do you consider that you've you put the time and you've put the effort in and now it's time to prove that to other people as well? Um, I never really believed in luck um, yeah. until I ran out of it. Um, you know, so... I always felt like luck was just a bit of an excuse, really. Uh, and uh, for the most part, you do control your own luck. Yeah. Um, or you make your own luck, sorry. Um, and then, um, you know, in my last full year of racing in 2020, um, we had so many things happen that were out of our control. You know, um, we, didn't, we didn't get to start the last, uh, the first race of the year, sorry. Um, because the clutch went on, yeah. on the warm-up lap going to the group. Um, we had an electrical problem at Snetterton in both races that frankly cost us both wins, you know, where the cold just randomly cut out and I had to yeah. switch it off, turn it back over and go again. Um, we had uh, an ABS fault develop whilst we were in the lead at Croft from the pole. Um, we had so much happen that Honestly, it wasn't even necessarily a question of mechanical sympathy. You know, there, there was literally nothing I could have done. And even even from the, the team's point of view, you know, these weren't problems that would show up beforehand. They weren't yeah. a preventive maintenance type thing. It was just something that happened and there was actually very little any of us could do about it. Um, so, so, yeah, at that point, I started to, to believe in luck a little bit more. But you just got to control what you can. You know, um, I can't fully control luck, so no. I worry about the parts of it that I can't control. As simple as that. Um, what other things you can't control when it comes to the car and it comes to yourself as a racer? Uh, you can control your mindset. You can control um, your preparation. You know, so so I normally spend a lot of time before a race meeting looking at um, footage. From, from years gone by on the circuit, whether it be my own yeah. or other championships and so on, uh, and just getting a, a plan in my head of how a race normally plays out there, what's important about the circuit from a lap time point of view, mm. both in terms of how I can execute a lap as best I can as a driver, but also, you know, um, what's important about the car, what do I need the car to do well there? Is it traction? Is it stability? And so on and so forth. Um, you can control your, your kind of session plan with that in mind to, to focus on getting the best out of your race. Um, and you can, yeah, you, you can to a degree control what you're getting out of the team. You know, yeah. your, your communication with them is, is absolutely crucial. 
you know they're there to help you but you need to to help them to help you you know you need to make sure you're telling them what's what's going on with the car what you're feeling while yeah. not overstepping the market to do their job for them you know um but there's there's a lot you can do no there's a great great lot of stuff you can control so you pretty much anything that you can control is yourself at the end of the day you can't control the people you can't control how the car's going to react you can't control the track conditions so i guess yeah the only thing you can control is, is yourself and how we react to those things um but yeah so obviously going forward alex the future as it it seems so close but so far away what is the plan for you the next five ten years and where do you see yourself then hmm. um yeah so so the goal as we speak now is for me to be back to racing full-time uh next season um so you know it's it's been a couple of years a bit more on the sidelines for me where i've just had to, to frankly take the time out to make sure that when i'm back to racing full-time it's working better as a business yeah. you know it's more sustainable it's done better overall and you know with with the challenges we've had with with covid and uh, brexit and, and so on and so forth it was important for me to take the time to make sure that I get this right going forwards you yeah, know so it's, it's been a fairly big break for me from competition which has been and continues to be pretty painful but if I get it right then it, I shouldn't have to do it again you know um so so yeah really really the goal is to get back to racing full-time um next season I don't know for sure what that would look like in terms of the championship we do um, but it will be important to me that whatever it is, it's a step up from what I was doing before, you know, so uh, a faster, more technical car, more advanced car, so more the challenge for the driver, a higher level of competition or a high level of racing, you know, yeah. um, than what I've done before. So I can continue to to push myself, to develop myself, to challenge myself um and improve and, and learn from from the competitors around me frankly um you know so <clears throat> yeah we don't know for sure which championship that'll be yet that's something i'm still working out uh, and it will simply be whatever makes the most sense you know from from a business perspective um yeah. but also for, for me as a competitor you know what gives me my best chance to, to develop but to be competitive to uh, to be at the front or working towards getting to the front uh, and to be able to win races and, and build a profile. Um, from there, you know, longer term, I'd love to build this into a proper career, you know, so it's probably only a thousand drivers or so worldwide who are actually being paid to, to race directly. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so for somebody like myself, you know, I have to do a lot of instructing work, a lot of coaching work to, to pay the bills. Um, and then you know racing is what allows you to to get the qualifications to get the profile to do that in the first place um so yeah i'd love to build it to a point where yeah maybe i could draw an income from actually racing directly um i'd love to race in something like um rich touring cars you know I've, yeah uh, i've raced as fought to it with the coopers um i work as a as a drive coach now and the coopers that sports it so I'm, I'm around it all the time you get a feel for, for the size of the event the size of the stage and mm. it'd be really cool to do and you know it's, it's a championship i followed for as long as i can remember um i'd love to do some some gt racing and uh, and so on and so forth um just want to race really i want to yeah. keep racing and i want to win 
So, I mean, is it money that's just stopping you from entering stuff like DTM, uh, BTCC and stuff like that? Or is it other hurdles that, I mean, for someone outside of the sport, for someone outside of racing that you can't see? Because, I mean, excuse my naivety, but there's nothing that I can't see from stopping you just getting a BTC team and joining them and then being in a car. Or is there a lot more than that? Yeah, like I say, it's it's business first, you know. Um, so motorsport is, I think it's totally unique. But it's fairly uh, different to most sports in that, you know, for myself as a competitor, I'm I'm the one responsible for for finding and, and bringing the the funding along to make it happen. Mm. You know, so if um, if you imagine like you know, Man United's players having to fund Man United so that they can then play for Man United, that's effectively the challenge we have in motorsport. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, and that's what I mean, you know, really well, we have to be business first, you know. So, so when you sat there and wondering why isn't such and such in that seat, you know, uh, he had a really good season last year. Why hasn't he moved up to touring cars or why didn't he get that, that F1 seat or, or whatever? Mm. Uh, a lot comes down to that business side of it, you know, uh, making that work first and foremost. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's the biggest hurdle any of us face as a driver, really. Yeah, and so moving away from um, motorsport, Alex, and uh, so let's let's hope the hope for the best that you do get a seat in one of those one day. What is it like outside of racing? Are you is it racing, racing, racing for life, or is do you have a a passion, a hobby outside of it that you like to um, do in downtime? Motorsport tends to be pretty all consuming, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm normally I try to limit myself to five days a week at a circuit. Yeah, you know, in terms of coaching, uh, instructing, um, and then of course there's all the work that goes goes along with that. You know, whether that just be the basic admin side of things mm. of, of running any business, um, but you know your research, your preparation, uh, your branding, your your promotion, and and so on and so forth. Um, so so yeah, you know, there's there's not a lot of time for anything outside of it. It very much builds yeah. into an obsession that you like rolls around. Um, so yeah, you know, it's uh, in terms of other things I enjoy. You know, uh, um, I quite like watching things about performance and that kind of stuff because that mm. carries over to what I do. You know, so I love sporting documentaries, even if it's a sport that I don't actually care about. I just enjoy seeing the human factor of it and actually seeing what I could carry over to my own sport. Um, you know, uh, I like to socialize as much as I can, of course. Um, it's it's quite difficult to to maintain friendships, I suppose, outside of motorsport a lot of the time. Of course, you're so doomed by it, you know. Um, so then, really, a lot of a lot of my time outside of it, I try and dedicate to you know myself and my girlfriend. You know, it's. It's difficult for us because she also works in motorsport as well. Yeah. So you know we'll often be different circuits on on the same weekend, a lot of travel. Um. So so yeah, you know it's it's difficult for us to make time just to be a kind of regular couple, uh, preferably without talking shop, which I'm probably more guilty of than she is. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's not. Some people manage it. I have no idea how, but there's not really much time for kind of hobbies and interests outside of the sport for me. 
No, I mean, fair enough. Because when, when I spoke to people like uh, Jamie Leach, who does sort of like um, uh, all that sort of stuff in um, the Mons and touring cars and stuff, he sort of spoke as it would be, you'd have your race day, which is your work day. And then after the race day, you'd have your beers and your your chats after that. So it was, I guess it's, it's the circuit is more of your work-life balance. It's finding a work-life balance within the work. Because if you don't see it as work and it's a passion, why would you? why would you have to feel like it's a chore almost? Yeah, I. I always say, you know, if you find something you're passionate about, you won't work again, or you won't work a day in your life. I'm not sure that's true. Um, it's still work, and it's still very hard work. Mm. Um, and Frank, passion is just what gets you through it. Yeah. Um, you do, you do definitely find a social life within it because you spend that much time in it. You know. Um, the boys I've worked with, you know, have uh, been mechanics, you know, team managers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, over the years, um, are probably among my my closest friends now. As a result, because you know, certainly last year I think I spent twenty weekends away on the road with them. You yeah, know, and you get to know pretty well at that point. Um, and of course you have a, a shared interest, you know, something in common, which which is always key, isn't it? So yeah, we we certainly make sure that we have our fun out of the circuits. Absolutely, brilliant. And what so what is life like on the road? Do you have I mean do you have stuff that you do just pass the time, or is it literally you wake up in the morning, you go to the circuit, you drive a train, you teach, and then you go home, or is there stuff you like to do and you need spare time? Obviously, you mentioned your girlfriend and stuff, but like, what is the day like in a routine for yourself? That's pretty much it. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, you get up, you travel, you do your job, you go home. Uh, you might have a couple of hours of downtime, but actually, that's all you spent with the laptop in front of you to, yeah. to do whatever else needed to be done that day. Um, you go to sleep, you get up, you do it all over again. You know, it's 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 not a nine to five commitment for anybody in the sport. You know, whether they be drivers coordinators uh, mechanics etc etc um you never stop thinking you rarely stop working certainly don't yeah. stop as much as you should um yeah you know i i tried this year to to set like a, a day aside each week as like a day off and i managed that for a good four months or so which was longer than i thought it would um but yeah now i'm pretty much back to seven days a week at this at this stage of the year because that's what i need to do to get back to racing you know um so so yeah it's eat sleep most sport repeat i mean it's it's amazing to see that the sort of commitment and dedication to the sport and i think it's people 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 don't realize it's people like yourself that haven't got the big F1 contracts or haven't got the big sort of glamorous daily routine that you're doing two jobs. You're doing well, do more than two jobs. You're doing the driver job. You're doing the, the admin job you're doing. You're doing all this. You're wearing so many hats to the point where you must get, you must get burnt out at some point. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and I think it is, it's just passion that prevents you from full burnout, you know, mm. um, I don't think that's necessarily something that's unique to motorsport. I think a lot of people are self-employed can be guilty of that, you know. Yeah, sure. um, yeah you know, you, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm 
I'm not just a driver, I'm not just a driver coach. Um, I'm in marketing, I'm in admin, um, I'm in social media, I suppose, to a degree. Um, I'm, I'm whatever I need to be that day to, to keep going, frankly. Um, and yeah, it's it's very difficult to, to manage and I think it's just passion that gets you through it, to be honest, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking back to little Alex sitting on the rooftop of the car, watching the cars go by. What do you think he'd be looking at you now and how do you think he'd view your career so far? Yeah, and there's there's been, I suppose, a lot to be proud of. Yeah. Even more than I realised, you know, um, because I don't, I don't want to say you take it for granted, but once it's happened, it's fairly irrelevant, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's focused on the next girl, you know. Um, certainly, I think even five or six years ago, you know, if, if I'd known that I was going to do the stuff that I'm doing now, then mm. I'd have thought that's pretty cool. Yeah. But it also becomes reality pretty quickly, you know. Um, and when you're kind of inside that bubble of it, you don't you don't often take enough time to, to kind of see the big picture and uh, and appreciate that actually what you're doing is is what you always wanted to do, you know even more so when I'm back to racing, of course, but even with what I get to do on a coaching point of view, you know, mm. it's it's really cool stuff. It's really satisfying. It's it beats a proper job. You know, I've done those before and I I certainly love what I do now in comparison. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think, you know, there would have been a lot for for a younger me to be proud of, to be excited for. Um but the best is still to come. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about more of the coaching side of things, Alex, because I think it's something that obviously it's it's not as glamorous as the racing, but it's also the side that clearly you enjoy doing it, not out of necessity not necessarily, but out of a, I guess I love to teach and I love to love to see the sport progress. So when a student or a, I don't know, a mentee comes to you, what is the process like to discover their um, weak points on track or their sort of um, shortcomings when it, in, a, in a car? Uh, yeah, it depends so much on, you know, who they are on the nature of what I'm doing that day, really. You know, um, I deal with everything from, from novice drivers who, mm. you know, don't have a clue what they're doing. And really, at that point, your job is, it's frankly, more asset protection. You know, make sure driver, instructor, car comes home safe and they've had a good time. Mm. That's the side of it I don't enjoy so much but it's it's a necessary evil to, to pay the bills um but then you know on on the proper coaching side of it you know um if you're working with a novice with intention to go racing then there's really three kind of key areas you know to, to work on it sounds really obvious but you know it's it's about the way you break it's about the way you you turn you know um yeah. and it's about the way you accelerate you know um sounds really obvious but it's true um and actually the habits that i try and teach at that point in terms of how you do those three things are probably a good 75 percent of, of what yeah. you do on circuit you know but it's then 
it, it's kind of like, you know, if you go to the gym and you're doing uh, weights or something like that, you know, um, the technique when you just got a bar is exactly the same as it would be when you've got like you know, 60 kilos on each end or whatever. Mm. Um, but it's a lot harder to with weights on. You know, it's the same with driving on circuit. The faster you go, the more uncomfortable it gets. So the more likely you are to go back to road habits that make you feel comfortable. You know, um, you might start to brake a bit softer like you would on the road. You might start to move your hands kind of up the wheel like you would mm. on the road. Uh, it makes you feel comfortable at that moment, but it restricts your progress. Um, so, so actually a lot of what we do initially is just about keeping you in check, really, you know, making sure you're executing those habits. And the better you do that, the more consistently you do that, the easier it is to find speed. Um, then with the more experienced drivers, you know, so, so like I said, I'm, I'm coaching with uh, Graves in the Cooper Trophy right now. Um, I've got three drivers on and after, uh, Nelson, Nikki, and Alex, and they are currently first, third, and I'd say seventh or eighth in the championship, but I've well through in the top 10 and contention. And with them, you know, um, they're experienced guys. You know, I'm sure they're they're all 18 years old. Um, Nikki doesn't even drive on the road yet, actually, but they've been karting for uh, as long as they can remember. They're very quick, you know. Um, it's not the kind of thing where I have a lot to teach them in terms of how to go faster because yeah. they're already very fast. It's more about teaching them how to drive, you know, better and, and smarter. To, to really look for those little details and the techniques to look for the overall mindset if you like mm. you know um, any setup changes that need to be made uh, and so on and so forth and just helping them get the most out of each and every session and at that point that's the bit that I really love to do because yeah you're working your backside off just to find like a 10 for 2 mm. but that 10 for 2 is the difference between winning and losing yeah. you know and uh, uh, and it's it's such a challenge you know I learn a lot from working with them myself and um, actually you normally find at that point they're probably learning as much from my previous mistakes as they are yeah. the things I got right myself you know um, but either way you know when when a plan comes together there and you see it actually get executed properly on the TV when you see the result it generates um that feels almost as good as winning the race yourself. Almost. Yeah, um, almost. <laughs> not quite the same, but very, very close. Um, and that's that's the bit I really love to do. Yes, it's not like you're living vicariously through them. It's it's a uh, it's a passion for yourself. Yeah. No, perfect. And I mean the question I didn't I didn't ask earlier, which I think I'm going to come back to you now, since you consider like coaching and you've, and you said you've got, you've got a girlfriend is a family on the cards, Alex, would you, would you consider yourself a family man at all? Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, my girlfriend has, has two children. You know? okay. So obviously I've had to, to take on a responsibility there as well, you know, and they've come along to, uh, uh, some of my races and that's been brilliant you know to be able to share it with other people as well um so yeah you know it, it, it makes it harder in in one sense but mm. also better overall you know there's there's more to look forward to at the yeah. end of a race weekend you know able to share your successes with which is great um so so yeah you know 
Um, who knows what the future looks like in terms of you know, whether or not that gets expanded or whatever. Um, that's no pressure. That's not on the card <laughs> right now. That's uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of other things we need to achieve first. Um, you know, right now my focus is very much on building a, a racing career. You know, um, but I already get to enjoy a lot of that that kind of family life, if you like. And yeah, it's brilliant. No, fantastic. And would you consider? I mean, when it gets to the point of these these kids um racing being a thing for them or would it be something that you'd have to like make sure that they come in their own sort of way something like this always has to come from within you know um my dad was always brilliant with that mm. uh he, he still is um i think in all sports you see a lot of um parents who are well, kind of like you said with the coaching side of it you know living vicariously through their kids mm. you know uh, and my dad never did that, you know. Um, it was great that we had a shared passion, you know, yep. and it, it really added a lot to my childhood and my relationship with him. But if I had ever told him that I wanted to stop, he would have been totally fine with it. If the results weren't there, he was totally fine with it. You know, he just wanted me to to enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, and that really allowed me to grow a uh a true passion for it you know um it meant that nobody wanted it more than i did and that's the way it should always be um and that's the same way i'd be with with anybody else you know um if if they were to ever say they wanted to do it yeah brilliant you know i'll i'll be fully on board and you know i'll give them everything i can in terms of support but it has to come from within you know it can't be it can't be forced. Um, the the desire to do it is either there or it's not, you know. Yeah. Um, but that has to come from you. I mean, racing can be a, a especially scary thing for parents. I mean, I, I don't know what my mum was like when I was go-karting, but I can't imagine she ter- she's terrified when I walk near a cliff, let alone um, getting, a, getting a go-kart or anything like that. So, I mean, what was your mum like through all this? Was she, was she a support with your dad or was, was it a bit of a different sort of convincing her that you were going to be okay? Um, I don't really know. Never really talked about it, to be honest. Um, Mum didn't really come to a lot of the races. I don't think that was necessarily out of concern or worry. But, mm. you know, I've, I've got two brothers, you know. Um, they needed looking after. Um, you know, certainly in, in latter years, you know, as, as life changed for them, then, yeah, she came to more and more races. Yeah. Um, she never expressed a concern over uh, over danger. Um, I'm sure there was concern there, but it's it, she's never tried to influence it in that sense. Yeah. Um, sure. But I think you know, dangers. It's an interesting concept, you know. Um, statistically, the most dangerous part of a race weekend is is getting to and from the circuit. You know, the road is a much more dangerous place than than track. Yeah. But we don't think about that because we all have to do it. We have to use the road to get to and from work to, to live our lives. Um so I guess it depends on, on what you consider risk to be, you know. Is it then when you go out of your way to, to put yourself at risk, is that is that when it's more of a danger? You know, I don't know. But 
Um, yeah, it's, it's never really been a conversation we've had, to be honest. No, fair enough. And I know we're coming towards the end, Alex, but there's a sort of couple of questions I like to ask just as a sort of fun sort of gimmick sort of thing. Um, and the first of those being, what is your ultimate three-car garage? Um, I really struggle with questions like these. Because to be honest with you, I I like cars, but I don't know if I'm if I'm what you call a car person. That's such, okay. you know, interesting. Like, yeah, I like them. Uh, I like the good cars and so on and so forth. You know, I have a taste in them, but they're almost a yeah a means for me. You know, I need a mm. car to compete in motorsport. You know, um, so yeah, free car garage would probably have to be more race car orientated i was gonna say we, we can we can flip uh, the question we can flip the question to if you had to drive if you, could, if you could race any three cars and you could experience those cars as a race car what would they be okay all right um first one i'd probably go for would be a lola t70 so yeah. for those who don't know that's the mid to late 60s um sports car um so it's like this beautiful kind of um handmade body shell um with a, a chevy small block v8 in the back um so it looks and sounds incredible mm. um and at that point you know you're talking like well, five six hundred horsepower whatever probably more than that mm. um but on kind of i suppose it would have been like cross ply tires you know, um, so so way more power than grip, um, which is always uh, a good ingredient for for fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, they just so cool. Um, so I'd love to to go for something like that. Um, second one would probably be um, the yeah, we'll go with the Lola Aston Martin. Um, so. Growing up, for the most part, we just used to go to touring cars because that was local and other stuff that happened at Brands Hatch. Yeah. Um, but my dad was actually normally a bigger fan of sports car racing and uh, kind of Le Mans style racing. Um, and then uh, when I was 14, 15, he took me along to, to my first proper sports car race. Um, so still nice. 7,000 kilometers. And the car we went there to to go and see was was the Lola Aston Martin. So again, kind of like the Lola T seventy, you know, the, the beautiful car to look at, um, but with an Aston Martin V twelve in the back. So it absolutely screamed around the circuit, um, and they were just stunning machines. Um, yeah. So yeah, it would be to have on those. And then I think the third one would be probably any NASCAR. Okay, um, I only I, want to turn left. I'm then. a big NASCAR. Fan. Uh, well, you say that they do road courses as well, and actually, I'd really like to try one. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's just such a cool challenge compared to anything else out there in motorsport. You know, so basic technology-wise, and yeah. yet at the same time, the engineering it is actually quite impressive, which is a weird kind of contradiction. Um, I've I've driven one of the Euro NASCARs, which is cool, but it's not. It's not quite the full thing, you know. Yeah. It, it needs a bit more weight to it to, to feel proper, a lot more power to it. Um, so yeah, you know, I'd I'd love to try like a, a proper NASCAR Cup car. No, it sounds like it's a lot of sort of um 
American influences and stuff just to try the just to try the V8s, I guess, V12, anything with a V really in it um, <laughs> to, to see what that's like. It's fast and loud, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that kind of that kind of changes the next question, which is I mean, if you could take any of those three cars, you could pick one and you could you could only drive it on one track or one road. Where would you take? What would you take and where would you go? I uh, see at that point I need to do some swapping. Um, <laughs> I think the the bucket list track will always be Bathurst. Okay. Um, and it it has to be for anybody. Uh, that place just looks absolutely incredible. Um, you know, like the Nurburgring, but with more walls. You know, a lot narrower. Uh. Uh, it just looks incredible but if you were to do that justice then you need to be a supercar instead of an ascar wouldn't you yeah wouldn't be fussy a whole norfolk um either or um but yeah you know, a supercar uh bathurst would be pretty mega perfect and i mean alex you've given some brilliant advice and sort of wisdom towards racing in itself but if you had to give i mean let's say your younger self um any advice or wisdom to pursue a career of racing, um, what would you what would you say to that person? Hmm. Um, to myself or just anybody generally? I mean, anyone to your younger any younger racing drivers or sort of budding professionals. Okay. Um, I think the first, the, the most important bit is don't underestimate the power of your network. Mm. you know and building your network um i can trace everything i do now back to relationships i had during my very first job at mcdonald's okay um, wow. you know um because of people i've met people have helped me along the way so never underestimate that equally with that of course you need to make sure you're likable otherwise these people won't help you so you know the the ego has to be left at the door um i think other than that you know be prepared for for a life where like i said earlier you know you you'll always lose more than you win and that's that's not necessarily just a an on-track thing you know that that's a business thing as well you know when it comes to looking for things like sponsors you probably need to go for a hundred no's to get one yes, you know. So you have to be prepared for that. You have to to learn to love the process of the work you're putting into it. Because if you're just getting uh satisfaction from the results, they're often quite few and far between. Um and that's probably not enough to keep you going. I think that's where yeah. most people give up on this. Um and yeah, I think those are the two important things, you know. Uh, and other than that, just don't give up, you know. Um, I think I'd rather spend a lifetime trying to to chase this dream than, you know, a life of wondering what it would have been like, you know. Uh, as long as I can say at the end of it I tried everything I could, then then that's enough, frankly. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a saying I've I've learned recently, which is regret the things you do do, don't regret things you haven't. And just out of curiosity, what would be the advice to give to you and your younger self? Pretty much the same as that. <laughs> um, you know, um, 
Yeah, and like I say, I'm, uh, the way I built my network has been key to get me to to where I am. Mm. But if I'd done that better, then maybe I could be further up the road by now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think the single biggest advice I could have given myself, but actually maybe it should have been included in the last answer, is to understand that this is business first and sport second, you know, and it it took me probably too many years to understand that. Sure. Um, and I lost uh, a fair few years kind of sat there in Cartoon when I, if I understood what I was trying to get into, maybe could have been in cars a bit sooner, maybe could have been further along the the path by now. You know, I I try not to waste time on if buts and maybes because they're irrelevant. They're not happening anyway. But if if I had been able to understand that, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18, as opposed to 22, mm. um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I would be in a GT now or a touring car or whatever, who knows? Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think that's the single biggest thing really um, would have been to have just understood that maybe a bit sooner and applied myself to it a bit quicker as a result. Yeah. I mean, well, Alex, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to to pick your brain, and um, I hope really hope we're best for the, the next year, the next season that you do get to go in that car, and you get to prove to everyone that you what you just say is you can preach and and drive as well. Thank you, I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars. I want to say a big thank you again to Alex for being so generous with his time. It is weird to think that we started in a similar place regarding our love for cars, um, racing at Butmore Park, and how the simple things in life can change the trajectory of anything. I, like Alex, wanted to be a racing driver, but I didn't understand that the most challenging part was to never give up and never give in to the challenges around you. Alex was, like he said, at times struggling to make it from race to race, but somehow found a way. And I think that's what I've taken away from the conversation, is that life is going to throw you curveballs and unexpected things will happen to you, But it is up to you to get on with life, get up and start moving, whether that be to the finish line or just even to the next day. You have the power to do anything you want. It is all about mindset. And I've said it before, instead of thinking of a goal and making it seem too overwhelming, simplifying it down into easy to manage tasks is the way to victory. So with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening.